0: Show your appreciation for them again, please. Thank you. It's a blessing to preach after such talent here. Thank you. All right. Well, now let's turn our attention to the Word of God. So if you open up your Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 6, as we continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount, as we continue our study of the Lord's Prayer that he gave to his disciples uh, during the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, today we're going to look at the fourth petition uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the whole Lord's Prayer, and then we're going to focus in on verse 11, Give us this day our daily bread. So the word of the Lord says, starting at verse 9, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, as we turn our attention to your word, Lord, I pray that you would lead us and guide us. Lord, I pray that you would use this vessel to speak to your people. Father, may you be glorified and honored. Father, may your word do what it's meant to do, Father. May it have the power of the Holy Spirit now, God, as I speak what your word has said. And may Christ be praised in your name. Amen. Well, I don't need to tell you this, but we are living in perhaps the most self-centered, materialistic, self-absorbed cultures in the history of mankind. I'm sure this comes to no surprise to you. uh, But if you look at the industries, the major industries within our culture, and look at the focus of each of these industries, there's one central message Self, 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 materialism, materialism, greed, self-promotion. Industries like sports, entertainment, even the business industry, it's all about self, uh, all about materialism. Uh, Music is big in our culture, and if you look at the songs that top the charts over the last 50 years, they're often centered around materialistic things, money, power, greed having more than you can ever imagine in this life. And that's what sells in our culture today, does it not? And because our culture is so focused on materialism, most Americans live in a constant state of fear about not having enough for the future. And they find their fulfillment and look for their fulfillment in everything material and not of God. According to a recent study... 77% of Americans report feeling anxious about their financial situation. 58% feel that their finances control their lives. 52% have difficulty controlling uh, their money-related worries. 68% are worried they won't have enough money uh, for retirement. 41% have trouble sleeping because they worry about money. As citizens of heaven, as children of the king who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, we ought not to fall into these statistics, but we must focus on renew our minds so that the culture, this is what the culture is impressing in the cultural norms, we must be constant to renew our minds so that we don't be conformed to this world. In another study uh, done by Pew Research, found that the top four things that Americans find their most satisfaction in are good health, a romantic partner, friends, or career. So this reflects our culture right here, friends, which we need to guard against by being conformed to. People worried about the future, worried about the material things of the world, and then they also are finding their fulfillment in the material things of the world, and not in God. But Jesus, in our text today, we will see he reorients his disciples' focus with the fourth petition in the Lord's Prayer that cuts to the root of all of these issues, and that is lack of trust in God, in his provision for your life, (coughs) a lack of not submitting to God's sovereign will for your life, and ultimately not finding our satisfaction in him. So today we will look at the fourth petition in the Lord's prayer which says in verse 11, "Give us this day our daily bread." Here we pray for the Lord to meet all things needful for our bodies. But before we look at that, it's important friends to frame this petition with the first three. So Those that haven't been here, we've gone through the first three petitions in the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we have to frame the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread, what our needs, right? We have to frame it with the foundation of the first three, which place a priority on the glory of God. And therefore... We must prefer prefer his glory over all our nearest and dearest concerns and needs in this life. You hear me, friends? Thomas Watson puts it this way about God's glory. He says, quote, God's glory is that which is most dear to him. It is the apple of his eye. All his riches lie here. His glory is the most orient pearl of his crown, which he will not part with. God's glory is worth more than heaven, worth more than the salvation of all men's souls. Better kingdoms be demolished, better men and angels be annihilated than God lose any part of his glory. So in the past Sundays, we've looked at God doing all things for his own glory. So as we continue to look at this petition, which addresses our needs here on earth, we must always be asking ourselves, brothers and sisters, is the glory of God more important than the comforts, concerns, or even suffering that you encounter in this life? Is the glory of God of more concern to you than the very food that you eat? As we continue to look at each element of the Lord's Prayer, uh, we now see that uh, in the fourth petition... Give us this day our daily bread. The prayer sort of hinges now to begin asking the Lord to meet our physical and spiritual needs. So there's six petitions in the Lord's Prayer. The first three are focused on the glory of God and God. And the second three focus on our needs, both physical and spiritual. It's similar to the Ten Commandments. You have the first table, which focuses on our duty to God. And then the second table focuses on our duty to man. Okay, So there's a parallel there. But please note that even when we go through these last three petitions, which are asking God of the needs to be met for our physical and spiritual well-being, even they have the underlying purpose for the glory of God. The glory of God is like the thread that's woven throughout the entire Lord's Prayer. The glory of God is like the umbrella, if you will, where all the other petitions fall underneath it. The glory of God is the foundation by which we build our entire prayer life. So here in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is refocusing his disciples' uh, hearts, and, and by extension, our hearts, so that our focus gets off our own lives and our own needs, and the focus is on God's glory. And even when we're asking for our own needs, the view is God's glory. Too many prayers, prayer meetings, prayer requests Fall outside this thread of the glory of God, or outside the umbrella, or outside the foundation of the glory of God. And I believe when it happens that way, it just becomes noise to God. As it says in James, you have not because you ask not, and when you do ask, you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own desires, or consume it upon your own pleasures. It becomes like noise to God when the glory of God is not in view when we're praying uh, to the Lord. And any and all temporal, earthly prayers must have an eternal or spiritual view of mind. You know, if we are to eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God, we surely should make all our prayer requests to God for the glory of God. So let's look at this text, Matthew 6, 11. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm going to provide three points, the truths that I see we can derive from this text, which lead us to this overarching truth, and that's this. Because God is sovereign and by his grace provides what he deems needful for us, we therefore must not only find our contentment in what he provides or doesn't provide, but we must find our ultimate satisfaction and joy in him. And so as we go through these three points, that's where we're going to end up in that truth, and I'll repeat it again. Because God is sovereign, and by his grace provides what he deems needful for us, we therefore must not only find our contentment in what he provides, but we must find our ultimate satisfaction and joy in him. In other words, as John Piper used to say, God is most glorified in us, When we are most satisfied in Him. Friends, there is a direct connection between finding contentment with God's earthly provision and experiencing God's joy and finding your ultimate satisfaction in Him. There's a direct connection between finding contentment with God's provision and God's glory. Okay, you may have never thought of it that way, and I hope to show you here from this text. If you're not content with God's earthly blessings, you will never be content with His spiritual blessings. And you will never find your greatest satisfaction in Him, and therefore God will not be most glorified in your life. This is why Paul said, Godliness with contentment is what? Is great gain. 1 Timothy 6 6. So Jesus here in the lord's prayer says give us this day our daily bread what are we asking here well bread here is used as a symbol we're not asking god for a loaf of bread right some people don't even eat bread okay we're not asking god for bread bread is a symbol used here in the text as things that are all needful things that we need for our bodies okay so it's symbolic. All things, food, water, clothing, and everything that helps to provide for you and your family, right? So the the income that you need to earn to purchase the food, the clothing, the water, all of that is wrapped up into this one petition. Give us this day our daily bread. So we are asking the Lord to provide for us, by his grace, all things needful physically for our bodies. So this leads me to the first point, and that's this. By praying, give us this day our daily bread. We are acknowledging our utter dependence upon God. We are acknowledging our utter dependence upon God. So it says, give us, and that word is in the imperative mood, which means we are asking, we are requesting that the Lord gives us all things needful for our bodies. Notice that we are not asking God to pay us what's due to us or to pay us what's rightfully ours. We're not saying, Lord, give me what you owe me. The idea is that we're asking God. We are putting our dependence upon God. The word give presupposes that we don't have anything to begin with. We are showing our utter dependence upon God for his provision for the very basic necessities of life. Now, we don't understand this in our culture because we have so much stuff and we find it hard to comprehend that we have nothing without God. But let me tell you this truth, that you have nothing without God. You have absolutely nothing without the grace of God upon your life. So by asking the Lord, give us, we are acknowledging His divine sovereignty over our lives and that all we have All that he has given us is a gift from God. Brothers and sisters, again, we don't understand this because right now, if your flows of income streams stopped, you would be able to survive for some amount of time, right? You have a fridge and a freezer. Some of you have multiple freezers full of food. You have clothing that won't wear out for months or years. Okay, so the idea that without God you have nothing is hard for us to comprehend, because we have some, we're so rich in these blessings of God. But mark my words, friends: if not for the grace of God, God can dry up your very food source in an instant. Uh, so we need to understand that everything that God provides us, He does not owe us one ounce. It's all given by a loving and uh, gracious Father. So He said, "We give us our daily." bread. The emphasis here is on daily. We're asking, give us, Lord, what we need today, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month. Again, this is hard to understand because of all of the stuff that we have stored up. Uh, What is Jesus saying here? If we live in in this culture where we have fridges and freezers full of food, do we really need to pray, Lord, give us Today, our daily bread, God, I have it. I have a fridge full of food, right? Do we really need to pray this since God has blessed us so abundantly? Absolutely. We still need to pray this because the point that Jesus is making here is that we need to have a focus on today, not tomorrow. We need to be thankful that the Lord has provided for our needs today, friends, And later in the sermon, I believe Jesus expands upon this verse in verses 25 to 34, where he talks about, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow nor weep, yet your Father feeds them. Uh, Look at the the clothes, uh, the grass in the field, how God clothes the grass that are alive today and gone tomorrow. How much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And he says, do not worry about Tomorrow, do not worry about what we will eat, what we will drink. He says, "Seek first the kingdom and His righteousness." In verse thirty-four, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So God, through this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. God wants for us to take our eyes off of tomorrow and stop worrying about if we're going to have enough money for our family for next week next month, next year, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. So he points to the idea about being focused on today, not about tomorrow. Now we see this as an example in Exodus chapter 16, if you'd like to turn there with me. Uh, Exodus chapter 16, when the Lord provided manna for the Israelites. You know the the, the story there, but, but look what he says in Exodus 16, in verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion, a day's portion, every day, that I may test them, whether or not they will walk in my instruction. So the Lord wanted his people to trust him, to provide for them each day, so he commanded them to only gather enough for that day, except on Fridays where they were commanded to gather double so that they could rest on the Sabbath day and not go out and gather. So in the same way, friends, for God's new covenant people, he's calling us to trust him to provide for us each day and not worry about Tomorrow. Now, does this negate any form of long-term planning or long-term saving? Uh, Some may take that view and say, hey, we shouldn't even worry about tomorrow, not save money, uh, not plan, not do any of that. Uh, But scripture doesn't say that at all, and that's not what Jesus is saying. Scripture elsewhere points to the wisdom of planning, saving, and wisely investing. You see it all throughout Proverbs. Uh, Just to name a few. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. Okay, so you see these principles all throughout Proverbs of you're going to gather when the when the hay when the sun shines and you make hay, right? You're gonna gather like the ant for the winter. Proverbs 13 2. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. So it's wise to save, it's wise to uh, have wise investing, it's wise to plan. That's not what God, uh, Jesus, is saying here. There's also a parable in Luke, you don't have to turn there, but it's Luke chapter 3, when Jesus gives them this parable, uh, and starting in verse 16, It says the land of a rich man was very productive and he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many good goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. So some might view this as, hey, see, we shouldn't worry about tomorrow, shouldn't save because this guy saved, he shouldn't have been saving, God called him a fool. But the key to uh, point out in that text is God wasn't condemning saving, but the keys in that text is that man was all about himself, Okay. Jesus was warning in this parable in Luke 12 about greed. And notice that the man stored up treasures for himself and did so, why? So that he could be lazy, so that he can eat. Take your ease, you've done enough, you can sit around. Uh, laziness is not a biblical virtue, by the way. And so that was the reason he was not rich towards God, he said. He stored up treasures for himself so that he could take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where we should seek to store up enough money so that we can retire for the sole purpose like this guy, taking our ease, eating, drinking, be merry, basically being a glutton, being lazy for the rest of your life. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Now, retire from your primary vocation so that you could do something else or so that you can uh, do kingdom work? Yes, yes. Amen, for sure. But the Bible calls us to work. Uh, Hard work is a biblical virtue. Our hand must always be to the plow. God made us to work. So Jesus here isn't prohibiting long-term planning uh, or saving or in a wise way, uh, investing all for the glory of God. That's the point, all for the glory of God, not for self-indulgence. So on the other extreme, on the other hand, Uh, By asking God to give us all things needful, does this mean we can just kind of sit around and do nothing? Like sit around and wait for manna to appear, right? God's going to provide, so I'm just going to wait for him to provide and sit around until it falls on my lap. Well, that's not biblical either. I don't think any of us think that way here, but I just want to be clear that's not what Jesus is talking about here. God requires us to labor. God requires us to labor hard by the sweat of your brow. You will eat bread, Genesis three, nineteen. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, Proverbs thirteen, four. But the soul of the diligent is made fat. He who is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys, Proverbs eight, nine. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but will not even bring it back to his mouth. Proverbs nineteen twenty-four. The sluggard does not plough after autumn. So he begs during the harvest and has nothing. Proverbs 20, verse 4. And you know, Proverbs 24, 30, verse 34. So I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense, and behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked, received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then your poverty will come as a robber, and your want like an armed man. So God calls us to work. We ask for God to provide, but we don't just sit around until manna falls in our lap. Uh, <clears throat> Paul even said that if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his own household, he is denied the faith and worse than unbeliever. First Timothy five eight. And then Paul said to the church of Thessalonica that if anyone is not willing to work, then he should not what? Eat. That's right. Second Thessalonians three 10. It's been said by a number of theologians, I don't know who to credit this to, but uh, it said pray as if it all depended on God and work so hard that it all depended upon you. I think that's wisdom there. We put all of our dependence on God, we ask Him to provide for all of our needs, and then we go work hard, diligently, without sacrificing our family, without sacrificing the things that God tells us that are of primary importance, but we leave the results up to God. God actually uses our hard work as the means to answer our prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Knowing that he gives you the ability to labor and to provide for your family, we should be thankful and not get that backwards. It's always the Lord that provides, not you, not your special gifting, not your hard work. Yes, you work hard, but ultimately it's God who provides. You know, the best thing in in my life that ever happened to me was when God helped everything I tried to do fail. This was years ago. And, and we almost lost about everything. And everything I was doing was failing. Uh, and we almost lost our house even. And we got to the point where God woke me up to my own prideful heart that I was, I was prideful that I was able to provide for my family and those who aren't able, they're just not as good as me and I'm a hard worker and all of that, I uh, self-deceived to think that it was me. It was my special giftings. It was my hard work. And God, by his grace, disciplined me to show me that, no, it's not ultimately you, it's ultimately me that provides for your family. So work hard, use the gifts that God given you, but we must understand that at the end of the day, it's God, by his grace, has provided for you and your family. So number two, second point, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're asking the Lord to provide all that he seems sufficient for us to most glorify him. We are asking the Lord to provide all he seems sufficient for us to glorify him. When Jesus says, give us this Lord day our daily bread, I believe he's reaching back to a passage that's very similar, and that's in Proverbs. Turn there with me, Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. I'm going to start at verse 7 and read through verse 9. This is Agar. <clears throat> he says, Two things I ask of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. That I may, uh, that I may excuse me, that I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. It's a very challenging text. I think for many of us, it's probably easy to ask for the first. Lord, don't give me poverty, but could you ask for the second? Lord, don't give me too much that I might say, who is the Lord? Isn't it interesting, most of the time, in a financial context, when we have more than enough, our spiritual life seems to go on the decline. Can. Most oftentimes it does because you have all your barns full. Everything's there. So who is the Lord? Look how great I'm doing, right? Uh, So that's a challenging text, but what's interesting about this text, verse 8, he says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but feed me with the food that is my portion. He says my portion. That word in the Hebrew literally means the allotted amount, the prescribed amount. He's asking God, to feed me with what you have determined to be my portion. So Agur here has the view for the glory of God. He does not want too little to where he'll be tempted to steal, and he doesn't want too much where he's tempted to forget about the Lord who provided for him. And he says, just give me what you deem to be best, no less, no more. Is that your prayer today? Is that your prayer for the things that God has provided for you or not provided for you in this life? Is that God, just give me whatever you decide to be best for your glory, not mine. Provide for my physical needs, Lord, in such a way that would glorify your name. Give me what you have decided, no more, no less. So here in this prayer, there's a submission to what the Lord has granted, and by His sovereign decree, by His sovereign will, what the Lord has decided is your lot in life. It's submitting to that. There's contentment with what the Lord has determined needful for you. So for Agur here, he desired neither poverty nor riches, but that which is needful, no more, no less. And this echoes 1 Timothy 6, 8, where Paul says, If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Now, just go further along in Proverbs 30. This is contrasted with uh, verses 15, same chapter, Proverbs 30. Look at verse 15. He says, The leech has two daughters. Give, give. There are three things that will not be satisfied. Four that will not say enough. Sheol, the barren womb. Earth that is never satisfied with water and fire that never says enough. We find ourselves on either one end of the spectrum or another. Contentment with what the Lord has provided or like the leech that just says, give me, give me, never satisfied, or like the earth that is never satisfied with water, right? We get a ton of rain, a week later the earth needs more or it's going to start dying And that's like the leech. So what side of the spectrum do you fall on today? Are you always, give me, Lord, give me, and you never have enough. You always want more, more. If I just had a little bit more, if I just had a job with just a little bit more, and then you get it and you just, more, give me more. We must guard our hearts and minds. Think back to the Israelites. God miraculously provided them with sweet manna daily. They didn't even have to work for that you think they would be content, uh, but they were not, as we read. Instead of being content, they were like the leech, give me more, give, give. We want meat. And why did they ask for meat? Did they ask for meat because they realized that the, the manna was only carbohydrates and they needed some protein to be stronger for the glory of God? No. They asked out of their own pleasures. They asked amiss. They asked out of anger, Right? What is this manna? We want meat. And they demanded the meat. And we know what happened. God gave them a little bit of meat. God gave them a lot. You want it? Here it is. Uh, James 4.3, I said it earlier. You do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it upon your own pleasures. So because the Israelites were not content, they rebelled against God's allotted portion. They rebelled against what God deemed to be best for their lives. They rebelled against God. So this is, contrast that with someone like Hannah. Hannah didn't have a child, and she prayed for a child. Why did she pray for a child? For her own glory? No. First Samuel one eleven, when she made a vow to the Lord, she said, O Lord of hosts, If you will indeed look upon the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but if you will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. She prayed for a son, not to consume it upon her own pleasures, not for her own glory, but for the glory of God. Against that you have Rachel. Rachel wanted a a son. But you remember what Rachel, why did Rachel want a son? Rachel demanded Jacob give her a son else she die. And why did she want a son? Was it for the glory of God? No, we know why she wanted a son. Because her sister was having kids and she wasn't having a kid, right? She demanded that she would have a son. It was not for God's glory, but it was for her own glory. So all of our temporal Earthly prayers ought to be for a means to see God use it for his glory and not ours. Whether that's praying for health, healing of a sickness, safety, a better job, all of this must be in prayer to submission to God's will for your life and ultimately must be a prayer with the aim for the glory of God. Notice in the Lord's Prayer, which again, Jesus says pray in this way. It's the model prayer, okay? All prayers must be subordinate and aligned to the Lord's Prayer. Notice that this is the only prayer in the Lord's Prayer. One out of six petitions that has to do with your physical needs of your life. One-sixth, yet for many it becomes 90 to 100% of prayers. Or prayer requests. Now, I want to be clear that God cares about the minute details of, of your life. As we read later in the, in the passage in chapter 6, that he cares about feeding the birds. How much more does he care about you? So I want to be clear that I'm not negating that. God cares about the minute details of your life. He cares about that. But listen to what he says in verses 7 and 8, back in our text. Before the Lord's Prayer. He talks about the Gentiles praying with babbling, meaning, a meaningless repetition. Uh, he says, They suppose that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, he says, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. And then we see this paralleled in the same chapter in verse 32. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. God cares about the minute details of your life, but here's the difference. Unbelievers focus their life on being fulfilled by all of those minute things in life. And Jesus is saying the unbelievers, the Gentiles, they seek after these things, but you should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Your heavenly Father knows what you have need of before you even ask. That's just amazing. To understand that God cares so much about the minute details of your life, He wants you to stop worrying about it and seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Third point when we understand and submit to what the Lord has allotted for us, we not only find true contentment, but it's how we find our full satisfaction and joy in God. And here's where I wanted to get to on this path with just this one text. Again, when we understand and submit to what the Lord has allotted for us, we not only find true contentment, but it's how we find our full satisfaction and joy in God. When our heart can truly pray, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, give me what you seem best for me today. Lord, I depend on you each day I depend on you today, Lord, to provide for me, for my family. When we can truly have that heart of prayer and not just say the words, then we truly find the jewel of Christian contentment. And not only do we find this jewel of Christian contentment, we are on the path to find our full satisfaction and joy in God. So as John Piper, I'll repeat it, he once said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Do you find your full satisfaction in God? Do you find your full joy in Christ, in Christ alone? You might might ask, how, how is God glorified, most glorified in us, when we are most satisfied in him? Think about it. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth flows, right? When we're not satisfied in God, when we're not satisfied with what the Lord has provided for us or not provided for us, what happens in our hearts? When we're not satisfied with the provision that He's given you, when we're not satisfied with His divine sovereignty and plan over your life, when we're not satisfied with how he's ordered your life, knowing that he could have made the situation different. When we're not satisfied with where we are in life, what comes out of our heart? Praise unto Yahweh or grumbling? You can't have both. It's either one or the other. Grumbling. When we don't find our satisfaction with what God's given to us or not given to us, then we have a heart of Complaining a heart of murmuring. Is God glorified in a Christian's life when it's full of complaints? When it's full of murmuring? Is God glorified when the people around you, when they see you claim to be a Christian, all that comes out of your heart is complaining? No. God is not glorified in a heart of complaints. On the other hand, when our heart Our mind, our soul is satisfied in God, satisfied in His provision, in His ordering of your life, in His sovereignty. When we're satisfied in the things He's not given us that you maybe want, when we're satisfied in the things that He has come across our lives, even the hurts, even the conflicts, even the The turmoils and the persecution and the pain, when we're not satisfied in what God has allotted for our life, or excuse me, when we are satisfied, what comes out? A heart of rejoicing, a heart of praise, a heart of adoration to God. And that's why, friends, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. So I want to end by asking you, where are you finding your satisfaction? Where are you looking to to satisfy you? Are you so wrapped up in the cares of this world that you can't be satisfied in Christ? Are you so concerned with the things that God you think God has held back from you or the things that have happened in your life that have, haven't turned out like you wanted it to or the things that that God hasn't given you or provided for you, or maybe it's the job he hasn't given you, or whatever it might be, fill in the blank. Where are you finding your satisfaction? We must bring all our earthly and temporal prayers and subordination to this petition. Give us this day our daily bread. When we do this, we bring our hearts in line with our Savior, who while on earth sought not for his own glory, Not for his own will, but for the will of God the Father who sent him. All of Jesus' earthly possessions, all of his food, all of his drink, all of the things that provided physically for his body were all used for the glory of God. Let us seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, And pray that the Lord would grant us each day all things needful for our bodies. Not so that we can glorify ourselves, but so that we may be content and use our earthly provisions to glorify God. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, your name is high above all names, and your glory is above the heavens. Who is like our God? There is none like you. Lord, you have declared the end from the beginning. Lord, you have ordained all things whatsoever shall come to pass. Lord, even the the things that have come across our life, Lord, that are even evil in nature, God, you allowed them. Lord, as you allowed the evil things to happen in Job's life, you allowed them, God, for your sovereign purpose. And, Lord, I confess it's hard to understand and comprehend your sovereignty, your providence but Father, forgive me, forgive us, Lord, for complaining, Lord, about the things that you've, we think you've withheld from us or the things you, you've provided for us and not being content with the things you've given us, God. Oh, what a grave grievance to the Holy Spirit when we complain about your provision. Forgive us all, God, for our complaints and murmurings. Lord, help us, but by your grace, change our hearts, God, that we would be totally and wholly submitted to your will so that, Lord, we can, with our whole heart, pray, give us this day our daily bread, our daily needs. God, help us to have a heart that can truly say, Lord, just give us what you want, what you'd seem best, no more, no less. Help us to find our contentment, in you. Help us, Lord, to find all of our joy and satisfaction in not the things of this world, God, but in you. We thank you, Lord. We give you all honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.